Today's Sunday sermon has been made possible by the members of Southside Christian Fellowship Church and listeners like you. Thank you so much for your continued prayerful and financial support of this ministry. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and how to get involved, or simply want to give a gift, please just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net today. The whole world seems to be going crazy, but what it seems in the, in the eternal perspective is God is stirring the waters. God is bringing the lies of the enemy to the light. He is showing what we've kept hidden for so long. He's not specific. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about your gender, your race, your nationality. He just cares whether or not you can be manipulated. Are you malleable? Can he use you to further the the deceit, the corruption, the confusion that's in the world? He wants us to be confused. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If that's the case, why do we see so many people fighting with each other today? You see, our adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't care who that someone is, just as long as it brings destruction. Our enemy has been sowing strife, discord, and confusion since the Garden of Eden. In today's message, we'll take a look at some of the tactics of the enemy and ways in which we can be a part of the solution. I want to talk to you today about exposing our enemy. There's a lot of unrest happening, especially in America, but it's really happening all over our world, all over our our globe. And so we tend to look at things through our own perspectives and our own eyes and our our own small part of the universe, or at least I know I do. I I, got to believe I'm not the only one. And what the Lord has really been ministering to me uh, on and about the last couple of weeks has been just the enemy and the way that he works. And I realize this is not new information per se, but I think that it's something that God is really, really, really hammering home right now. Uh, We asked the youth to stay in today, and that was a very difficult decision because I know you guys were looking very forward to getting together again, and that day is coming uh, very soon. But I appreciate you guys staying in because as we got to talking about it, and I was talking about it with some of the leadership and with dad and what we realized was this particular subject matter today is, is something you guys deal with as well. And we didn't want to wait till later to address it, especially with what's all, what all is going on in our country right now. You know, it, it occurs to me that you guys have access to way more technology than I ever did. You're way more aware of the things going on in our world than I ever was. I told Tammy, I said, you know, I remember growing up and all my friends and I ever talked about was baseball, girls, and going to the movies. I don't... I don't even know if I knew who the President of the United States was at that point in time. I might could have because it's probably on a history test. But other than memorizing it for that, I didn't really understand worldviews and culture. But, but, you know, as I get to talk to you guys, it seems to me you do understand that stuff better. And so I really feel like the information in here doesn't just affect me or the adults in here or the ones watching, but it also affects our youth. And so that's why we've asked you guys to stay in today, and I really appreciate you guys doing that. The other thing I want to say is that you guys have a much more diverse friend group just in this church alone. When I grew up, my friends consisted of mostly white Americans, but I did have a couple of black American friends. It wasn't because I chose to only have a couple. We we didn't have a whole lot of black Americans that went to high school with me, and we definitely didn't have any other races or nationalities. I told Tammy the only other nationality or race I remember was our foreign exchange student about my sophomore year in high school, and the only thing I can remember about that guy was he was kind of funny, 
Uh, and it was, it was weird, his accent. I'd never heard other accents before, so that was weird to me. He was a, he was a great guy, but he introduced me to sushi. And his going away party, we had sushi. And I remember trying that, and it was really cool. That's about all I can remember for having as, as much diversity as, as I could. But I was raised really well. I, I'm telling you, I, I was not raised to see color. Dad mentioned that last week. I wasn't raised to see color. So it's been very difficult for me as an adult to understand some of the cries that you hear of the people, especially in America right now. I, I don't fully understand it because in my mind, we all have obstacles. We all have difficulties. We all have issues. That's just part of life. And part of my problem has been I haven't had a diverse enough friend group to even inquire about. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. But we want to do it through an eternal perspective. And that's why I want to talk about exposing the enemy and what he's doing. I don't want you to focus so much on the issues, but rather the issues present the lies and the distractions and the loopholes that the enemy has sown. Let me give you some background. The last couple of weeks, I have just been, God has just really been heavy on my heart. Most of you that know me know that I'm a, I'm a, a light-hearted person. I like to joke around. Uh, I just have not been able to do that over the last couple of weeks. Part of the reason I can is probably the same reason you can't. I see people in our nation hurting. Right, wrong, and different, they're hurting. They're crying out in the only way they know how to cry out. And then as I pray about it, and I keep hearing other people say the same thing, God's heart is hurting. God's heart is broken for people. We know that God loves us because he sent his only son to die for us even though we were living crazy and not living according to his will and his way. He loves us no matter what. So when, when we see people hurting, God's hurting too. He wants them to experience his love. He wants them to be set free. He wants them to understand the beauty of him. And so when I find out that my, my Lord and Savior is hurting and broken, I, I'm hurting and my heart is broken. I haven't been able to sleep at night real well, and I haven't been able to understand it. There's always issues going on in the world. Why is this different, Lord? And so what I want to do today is kind of detail what I feel like the Lord has done to me. Maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. I don't know, but I feel like it applies to all of us. You know, my goal is not to take any political sides, but I've also realized that in my life I tend to avoid any kind of serious discussions that might involve any part of politics because it's sensitive and there's so many other things I feel like I could talk about with my brothers and sisters. I avoid them. The problem is I haven't been able to grow deeper or grow further as a Christian because I'm not willing to have some conversations because they're very uncomfortable. And that's why the title of this is Exposing the Enemy, Uncomfortable Conversations. You know, my goal here is to expose the enemy, his tactics. My goal is to be part of the solution, God's solution instead of part of the problem. You know, I want to be a part of the awakening that's taking place. I find it ironic, although I shouldn't find it ironic, that our countdown music has Eddie James singing about awakening. We've heard dad as well as other preachers and prophets talk about the year 2020 is the year of vision and what is happening. The whole world seems to be going crazy, but what it seems in the, in the eternal perspective is God is stirring the waters. God is bringing the lies of the enemy to the light. He is showing what we've kept hidden for so long. It's like my weight. One of the reasons I keep getting bigger and bigger is because I don't look at the scale and I don't look in the, in the mirror because I know that if I don't look at it, it doesn't really have a, I don't really have a problem. Is that true? Just because I ignore it doesn't mean that the problem is not there. 
You know, God reminded me of how I dealt with problems from students in school. And yes, I do have lots of scriptures and they are coming, I promise. But you know, when I taught school, kids would come to me and they couldn't always convey to me what they were really upset about. So they used the only words that they knew how to use. And over the years, I learned how to get to the deeper root and the deeper meaning to solve the problem. Sometimes it was exactly what they were talking about, but most of the time, it was the result of another issue. And as we dug deeper and we learned and we listened and we worked together, we came not only to the, to the problem, but we were able to come up with solutions. Sometimes I was on their side and I helped the other person understand their fault. And, and sometimes I was not on their side and I tried to help them understand where they were, where they were at fault. But the whole point was working together and listening. And something else happened through that was the kids started listening to me because they saw that I cared. And it reminds me of the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And isn't that what being a Christian is all about, is having relationship with other people, showing them we care so that we can open up their hearts and so that we can pour into them. I talked with Brother Gary Hippolyte, and he's got a lot of good things going on in Haiti. He's got a school down there. He's got a house of prayer. He's got missionaries going out on the mission field in Haiti. But all of the things he does, the Christmas shoeboxes, they're all for a bigger purpose. It's not just to meet the hunger needs of the country. It's not just to meet the clothing needs of the country. It's not just to meet their school needs and their education needs. It's so that he can dig deeper into their heart and expose them to Jesus Christ and so that he can then take them down a path of ultimate glory and ultimate happiness and ultimate eternal well-being. And so it's more than just sitting down and understanding and showing people that we care because we're good people. It's about showing people we care and why we care. We care because we know the solution is Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, the 19th verse and 20th verse says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I've been quoted this scripture, I've used this scripture, scripture many times, and it's all about witnessing, except it doesn't say go out and witness. It says go out and make disciples. I don't know how you make a disciple if you're just witnessing and you move on. To me, it's not a hit it and quit it and move on. Witnessing and making a disciple are, are different things. Witnessing is embedded in making a disciple, though. But making a disciple is about that relationship. We want to help people build relationship with our Father. We want to help people build relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way we can do that is we got to build relationship with them. That doesn't mean I accept everything they say or do. That doesn't mean I approve of their actions. It means that I love them in spite of their actions. It means I love them in spite of their words. It means I love them because they are people. They are people that God wants saved as well. And so again, today my goal is to expose the tactics of the enemy. He is at work. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. I was talking with another brother, another friend of ours, and he said, You know, Herman, we do have one area where we fight against flesh. I said, Okay, lay it on me. He said, Our own flesh. I said, Okay, that makes sense. But that'd be the only, only area, and technically that's a spiritual battle too, isn't it? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The battle appears in flesh and blood. 
And it distracts us because I know I solve those problems a lot of times with flesh and blood answers. I have to remind myself to go to God. I got to remind myself, what is God saying in this situation? What is the eternal solution to this problem? You see, Satan wants to sow seeds of division, strife, oppression. He wants to build confusion in us. He doesn't care which people are confused. He wants us all confused. He doesn't care. You see this in the Garden of Eden. It started all the way back then. Look at what God told Adam and Eve. And actually, Keith, God told Adam first. Keith and I were really wanting to blame Eve a lot here. It just has not worked out real well in my quiet time. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Unfortunately, it's pretty clear he told the man that. Now, later on, we do understand that Adam evidently communicated that to Eve, and we're going to look at that scripture now. Because Satan comes along and he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So obviously Adam had communicated that to her as well. But notice what Satan did there. He said, the serpent asked the question, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? That's how Satan does it. He puts just a sliver of truth in there, half truth. No, he didn't tell me I couldn't eat from any tree, but he gets us thinking. And then he drops in the lie part of it, the half truth. No, we can eat from other trees, just this one we can't eat from. And then he comes with the misinformation and the lie. And he says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now he has contradicted God. But in the beginning, he sows that little seed of discord, that doubt, that confusion. And look at what she does. She said, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Uh-oh, here we go. We are justifying now. Well, he did say don't eat from it, man. You know, it's just like the other fruit in there. It is good for food. Now Satan's starting to get a hold on us. Now he's starting to work inside of us. He's got a foothold. Then, then she goes further. She says, and it was a delight to the eyes. Man, it looks good too. And that tree was desirable to make one wise. Surely God didn't really mean and now we've come for a full circle and we've, we've allowed our flesh to get what it's craving. We've justified it. We've made the argument good enough to where we can stand behind whatever decision we want to stand behind. God was very clear. Eat from anything you want out here except this one tree. And our flesh, it could have been the most disgusting fruit in the world. God could have given her an example and said, look what happens when you eat it. It's nasty, disgusting. Don't eat from it. And what's the first thing we think? We don't look at all the other trees. We want the one you said, I can't have. We begin to justify why I can have that. We begin to look at it in other terms. You know, man, it's good for food. Why couldn't I eat it? Why shouldn't I eat it? It looks good. It doesn't look like it's bad and going to be harmful. It's going to make me wise. Why wouldn't God want me to be smarter? He made me after all. And what does she do? 
she takes and she eats. Now, unfortunately, it seems the man was not as smart. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into the scriptures. But Eve had to justify three different ways for her to eat it. It says, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. He didn't need a whole lot of convincing. She said, here, and he said, thank you. <laughs> you know? That's bonus material right there. <laughs> Satan sows confusion in us. Satan will use anyone he can. Look at what it tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's not specific. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about your gender, your race, your nationality. He just cares whether or not you can be manipulated. Are you malleable? Can he use you to further the, de the deceit, the corruption, the confusion that's in the world? He wants us to be confused. Notice it says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You see, God, Jesus, is the lion of Judah. Satan is trying to impersonate him. And if we don't actually know the lion of Judah, it's just like counterfeit money. We can be duped. It's like a roaring lion. John 10.10 10 tells us the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He doesn't just want us to live. He wants us to live abundantly. More importantly, he didn't talk about just one individual or one country or anything. He talked about everyone. He wants us all to live abundant lives. And Satan wants the exact opposite. He wants to steal that from us. The enemy has been convincing us to oppress ourselves for centuries. This is not a new issue. When you go back and look in the Old Testament, one of the more famous cases of slavery is what? The children of Israel. We have the book of Exodus talking about how they cried out to God to be saved. And God sent them Moses to deliver them from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He frees them. I'm doing a Bible study right now. I'm just reading through the Bible. And I'm in Judges now. So I went through Joshua. And guess what I found out? As the children of Israel go to take over the promised land as God gave to them. He tells them, drive out the inhabitants. He doesn't want them to be corrupted by anything that's in there. He wants them to drive them out. He doesn't say convert them. He doesn't say bring them in and give them food and shelter. He says, drive them out. I don't want them to corrupt you at all. But what do the Israelites do? They compromise. They convince themselves like Eve did. They begin to say, well, surely God didn't mean that. We, we should love everyone, right? Why? We're going to drive them out? It goes further than that. The Israelites, whose previous generation had just been enslaved, are now the ones enslaving the Canaanites. How does that happen? Because Satan gets in there and he sows confusion and deceit. He says that apple looks good. Surely God didn't say it would kill you. And so we begin to see this perpetual cycle again Satan doesn't care who he is hurting just as long as he's hurting us. You know, there are other groups throughout history. The Nazis, that's a very, very uh, relevant time in history. And even myself, who's not a good history student, knows of that time. The Nazis not only enslaved the Jewish people, but they tried to eradicate them. 
It's an uncomfortable conversation. But America originally was white America that brought over Africans for slavery. I'm not talking politics here. Stay with me. I'm talking about what Satan does. He convinces us that what we're doing is right. Look at the Declaration of Independence. It says what? All men are created equal. These are men of God based on our studies. Then they have another document. We call it the three-fifths compromise. This says slaves count as three-fifths of a person. We have one document that says everybody's equal and another document in the same documents that say the opposite. This is how Satan gets in, and he works. We got people crying out in the streets right now, and you got extreme sides to the argument of what's going on. You got people that are rioting, being violent. You got others that are protesting peacefully. You got people saying defund the police. You got other people saying you better not get rid of them at all. And Satan's sitting back going, I don't care how you solve the problem, just don't solve it. As soon as you figure this part out, I'm going to come in here and switch it up, and we're going to have another issue in here. Again, I got a history lesson over the last two weeks. I sat down with some of my friends and some of my uh, uh, brothers, and I, I had a conversation. I had an uncomfortable conversation, and I didn't like what I found. And I'll explain that part of my journey in just a minute. But, but I didn't realize I've heard terms like Jim Crow laws. I, I don't really, didn't really know what that was per se. But here we fought a war. We've, we've put in legislation to say all men are free now. No more slaves. And yet here's Satan whispering in the ear going, all right, fine, they'll be free, but I still don't want them around me. So we'll enact laws. So now if you're near me, I can put you in jail. Took a hundred more years. And then what Satan do? I can go through lots of stuff there. That's not my point. My point is to show you that every time we get wise to the situation, Satan comes in and switches the tactic up. He comes in and he deceives us, okay? Look at some of the things going on right now. Because we are starting to realize that, that black Americans were not treated fairly, now we're trying to overcompensate. And we go the exact uh, other direction. And what is that doing? That's creating division amongst other... Everything is creating division. That is the tactic of the enemy. He doesn't care which race enslaves which race. He doesn't care who's fighting with who. He just likes the fact that we're not getting along and we're not unified towards the goal of Jesus Christ. That's all he cares about. Again, it shocked me when I realized the Israelites had then taken slaves. They had, you know, we read that after God does all these miracles, what do they do? The second Moses leaves them to go meet with God, they begin turning back to their old ways. They make statements like, it was better back there with the Egyptians. Yeah, these are all the different ways that the enemy tries to, to divide us. When words aren't enough, if that's not making us more divided as people. And again, I'm focusing a lot on America because that was my history lesson these last two weeks. But this is something we see worldwide. This is not just something for America or for the state of Georgia or for Henry County, you know. Satan's trying to sow division everywhere we are. Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is what I'm telling you here. Men of God helped found this nation and saw Genesis that said God created all men and yet still convinced themselves 
to write in laws to not treat everyone fairly, to not actually treat them as human beings. You, you understand what I'm saying here? I, I'm showing you that, that, that even good men of God, even good women of God can get deceived if we're not focused on Christ. What does Paul tell us? I die daily. I take up my armor daily. Pray without ceasing. The second we take our eyes off the Lord, there's Satan coming in, trying to drop something in our spirits, trying to convince us. You know, symbols mean something. I don't know about you, but growing up, my mom could just shoot me a look. She didn't have to say a word. She just looked at me, and I knew what she was saying. You know, in, my, in, in other times, my dad or somebody could hold up five fingers. Most of you know what five fingers are, especially if I start counting down like this. You may not even know what you're counting down for, but you, you start moving. You start trying to fix something. You start changing something around you just in case you're doing something wrong. You don't believe me, parents. Try that as an experiment with your kids just for fun. Don't let there be anything wrong and start counting down. Let's start panicking and running all over the place. What did I do? What did I do? In my classes, I used to give kids three strikes. I'm a big baseball guy, so three strikes. And after I got them trained on the three-strike system, I could look at them and I'd go, it's one. I didn't have to say anything. They knew what that meant. The point is that symbols mean something as well. Think about the cross right here. To Christians, that cross means something very special. It's not just history. It evokes an emotion out of us. It reminds us of our Savior who died for us and gave us a chance at eternal life, a chance to wipe the slate clean for salvation. It meant something. We talked a little bit about the Nazis, right? You see a Nazi flag, it's history in my mind. I remember the history of it. But you talk to a Jewish person, and it's way more than history. It evokes an emotion in them. That's a very violent time in their history. It's not just history for them. There's a feeling that comes there. I remember a few years ago, Amazon came out with a new show that was based on an alternate uh, reality. I don't remember the name of the show right now. Anyway, the point was that, that actually America did not win World War II. And so part of America was owned by the Nazis and owned by Japan, I think it was. But the point was, I, I said all that to say, they advertised the show by flying uh, Nazi flags on the subway systems. And it would say the show at the bottom, but the main visual image was of the Nazi uh, symbol. That advertising didn't stay longer than a day because the uproar was so loud. And Amazon said later, you know, their point was to advertise the show. They were not trying to cause pain. They weren't trying to cause issues. They were just trying to advertise their show. But again, look at what the enemy does. Knowing that that's a painful part of history, people at Amazon aren't even thinking of those terms. They're good people. Don't mean anything by it. And yet we're so in division. We're so in strife. And if you look at the articles and stuff, you'll get people that say, no, they did that on purpose for that very reason. Okay? Again, it's just sowing strife. You know, this past week, NASCAR outlawed the Confederate flag, banned the Confederate flag. There are lots of people on both sides of the argument there. It wasn't until I sat down with some of my friends and some of my black American friends to discuss what the big deal is. I've got a neighbor two doors down that flies the American flag, and right below it, he's got a Confederate flag. I've never talked two things about it. It doesn't really bother me. And yes, I do know the history. I understand that that reminds us of the Civil War. However, as I sit down, I begin to get the picture, and they begin to tell me, Herman, that's not just history for black Americans. That's a reminder of the pain. That's a reminder of the war. That's a reminder of the slavery. It's an emotional response. And I go, okay, that makes sense to me. And then they said, 
when you send your kids out in the neighborhood to a house that has a Confederate flag, it doesn't bother you one way or another. But when I send my kid outside, I worry. I have fear. I don't really know how that person is going to respond. I don't know if that person is really racist and doesn't like black people. They may be a perfectly fine person, but I have that moment of fear. And I realize I don't even have that moment of fear. Now I care about my fellow human being. That's just a piece of cloth. I don't have to have that around me, near me, anywhere. I care more about my, my brother and my sister and what it means to them. That's what God's wanting us to do is to get in deeper with our brothers and our sisters all across this world to build a relationship to understand their culture and their perspective so that we can then minister together, so that we can then all arrive at the same destination in heaven. That is the ultimate goal. But what does Satan do? He comes in and he sows division. He starts telling us different things. And this is what I feel like Satan has been telling me. Whenever there's something in my history, whether it was something I did or something my ancestors did, I've been to, I begin to equate things to right and wrong. And then what Satan has done for me, at least, is he has equated wrong with bad and evil. So if I'm wrong, then I'm bad or evil. Well, I know I'm not bad or evil. Therefore, I must not be wrong. Therefore, something in my viewpoint has to be right. And I begin to justify. On top of that, I've got Hollywood and other people trying to soften things for me and give me a way to justify stuff. Let me take it out of the context of race and let's talk about Hollywood and how they influence us with the LGBTQ movement right now. It's invasive. It's putting characters in our face that are good people so that we have a hard time justifying our beliefs. But as Christians, what we should be saying is, I don't have any problem with any person in the LGBTQ environment. I have a problem with their belief system. I don't agree with the actions. But you as a person are welcome. Let's, let's, let's break bread together. Let's be together. Let's talk together. Let's build that relationship. Because hopefully I'll be able to get into your heart and show you a Savior that will deliver you out of that perversion that I feel like Satan has convinced you of. Think about marriage. Used to be back in the old days, it was very easy to understand you didn't, you didn't have sex. You weren't promiscuous before marriage. But slowly but surely, we've been given ideas by good characters and good people to make us compromise. And nowadays, I hear arguments like, you have to sleep with somebody before you get married. How else are you going to know if you're compatible? And that's not, you know, they're being serious. Or if you go out with friends, the older you get, if you haven't had sex, then you begin to get made fun of or picked on because you're the oddball. You're weird. But look at how Satan moved in like that. He takes an image that represents something that's horrible, and he begins to weave it in best he can to make it seem okay. And we begin to accept things. I was given permission to tell you guys, I like the Duke's Hazard a lot. I really do. And I got to talking to Keith, and he said, you can tell him I like it too. <laughs> I said, okay, that, that was, I didn't expect that. But the Dukes of Hazzard was just a good show with good characters. Bo and Luke Duke were just trying to help people out. But one of the most prominent symbols was the Confederate flag, right? So now what happens in my mind is, and I'm just telling you what's happening to me. Now I begin to see Bo and Luke Duke are good people, right? So everything that's in their world must be right. We do that in all kinds of situations, don't we? My dad's a good person, so everything he says and does must be good. We've we got to remember that, that that's not true. 
We still have to judge every situation by the Spirit. we got to talk to God. He's the only one that's perfect, and everything that he did and said is right. But it goes further. I begin to, I begin to change. I begin to say, maybe that wasn't right. Well, I associate my change as being wrong, then I associate being wrong with being bad, and I know I'm not bad, so I can't be wrong, so I've got to find a way to make my viewpoint work. Just like in the Garden of Eden, Eve's going, I know I'm not bad, so I can't be wrong. I've got to find a way for my viewpoint to work. You know, that fruit's good food. It looks delicious. It can make me smarter. Why wouldn't God want me to have that? We begin to compromise. And then the, the, the other thing that God really showed me is that even when we do open our hearts on any situation, and I didn't tell you this at the beginning, but for me, God was really hammering me and telling me I wasn't listening. I was shutting people down before they even made their case. I didn't even get to hear their heart because I was shutting them down because of the words they were using. I call them buzzwords. They use certain words, and I just stopped listening right away. If I say the name Colin Kaepernick, every person in this building had, an, had a reaction right then. Regardless of whether you agree or disagree with them, you had a reaction. I had a reaction as well. And my reaction caused me to just shut him down and not even listen to him, not even listen to the heart. We can't shut people down as Christians. we got to listen to people. I didn't have to accept what he was saying. I didn't have to agree with what he's saying. But I want to try to build relationship. And if I don't even take the time to talk with you, how am I going to build that relationship with you? How am I going to show you my heart and how God has blessed me and helped me through obstacles and challenges and when life is, quote, unquote, not fair? How am I going to show you a Savior that make things better in spite of the trials and tribulations you're going through? How am I going to reach you if I don't even let you convey your heart? Then when I do decide maybe I haven't been listening, then what does the enemy do? He sows disqualification. You're disqualified because of your past actions. How dare you talk to me about marriage? You've been divorced three times. How dare you talk to me about this or that? You get disqualified. I sit there and I, I, I read a particular celebrity who posted and he said, you know, okay, I'm, I'm in support of what's going on. I've changed. I realize that I, the error of my ways and what do people do? They blast him because of his past actions that happened 40 years ago. And they're telling him those words, you need to shut up. You can't even speak on this subject because of your past actions. We're disqualifying each other. Look at Satan. He's been doing this longer than just today. Look at uh, Paul. At this time, he's called Saul. In Acts chapter 9, Verses 22 and 23, it says, But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. By the way, this is after his conversion, okay? His eyes have now been opened both physically and spiritually, and he's now preaching the gospel. Remember, Paul, who was Saul at the time, is hunting Christians down because they're wrong. They're not just wrong. They deserve to die because they're wrong. See how the enemy does it? I can't just disagree with you. You're so wrong, you need to die, and everything you believe in should go with you. Now I can't even have dialogue with you. Satan's been doing this for all of eternity. He's trying to do it to Paul here. The Jews that sent him to get the Christians realize he has now had a change of heart, and now they no longer say, we don't agree with what you're doing. Now they're going to hunt him down and kill him. 
It gets better. Go to the 26th verse. When he, speaking of Saul, came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, with the disciples, the followers of Jesus. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. See, I still got this fear. He gets disqualified because he changed from the Jewish ways and the Jewish viewpoint, and he gets disqualified from the Christians because he used to be a Jew and a Christian hater. So now he's no longer allowed to talk at all. Thank God he didn't roll with that. Two-thirds of our New Testament has been written by Paul, all inspired by God, but if Satan finds a way to shut his mouth, we don't have what we have. Matthew twenty two fifteen. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him, speaking of Jesus, in what he said. Now they're trying to trap Jesus. And then Satan takes Jesus out later in the wilderness, or I guess Jesus is out in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him. And he, the three temptations, we've heard the stories, yes? He's trying to disqualify Jesus by making him prove himself. If you prove yourself to me, then I'll believe. But in reality, I'm so in deceit because if you actually do that, now what you've done is you've just disqualified yourself from anybody else you talk to. They're never going to believe you because they're going to realize you're in it for yourself and not for others. I started to relate to this and understand better. Satan is sowing deceit. He's sowing corruption, and he's been doing it since Adam and Eve. So what's the solution? One of the things that God really laid on my heart is for my own life that what I've been doing is not enough. And that really hurt because I feel like I do a lot. I do read. I do pray. I do try to get up here and preach and teach about the ways of Jesus. I try to witness to people in my community when I get a chance. Now, I'll be honest, I get fearful of that sometimes and I shy away. So as I'm praying, Lord, what's the solution? I can't just tell people all these wonderful things and they begin to spot the taxes of the enemy And now you spot the tactic. Now, what do you do about it? And he said, go back to the scriptures. So I look at the scriptures, Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Who are we going to be strong in? The Lord. When we go in our own strength, we can be assured of defeat. But we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Against the what? The schemes, the lies, the deceit, the tactics that he puts forth. We begin to look at things from an eternal perspective. We begin to spot these tactics. And now we can do something about it. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36, and 39. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And i got to be honest with you, I feel like I have been doing that commandment. So that's why I was confused on what God's telling me. And then he says the second commandment, and we all know this one as well, right? He says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there are times that I do love my neighbor. But if I know it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation or an uncomfortable situation, I shy away. I don't talk to my neighbor. If I go on the streets and I see somebody that I know is hurting, it depends on what they look like as to whether I approach them. I've justified this because I need to be safe. And I'm not telling you not to be safe. But like Dad said, somebody approaches on a certain side of the street, our alarms go off. Why are you dressed that way? Why are you approaching me that aggressively? Things like that. 
But if I pray about it and God tells me I need to approach that person, then I need to trust God and his strength. I got to be honest with you, I, I'm not out there feeding the hungry. I'm not out there clothing those that are naked. I'm not out there providing shelter to those that need it. I, I do give my tithes and offerings, and our church does help support organizations like this. But I got really convicted that I personally, I need to do more. I need to reach out more. You know, it tells us in Matthew 22, I'm sorry, I said that one, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God wants us all. I've got to reach out to all. I can't just reach out to one or two people. Galatians 3.28 tells us, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm getting ready to close here. I need to sit down with friends. I need to have some uncomfortable conversations. You youth need to do that as well. You have a great opportunity to get other perspectives from your friends. I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have a culturally diverse group of friends because they weren't available. In this church, we have so many races and cultures represented. It's amazing. I love it. And we need to sit down and have conversations with our brothers and sisters. We also need to reach out. I need to reach out. I'm sorry. I'm telling you what God told me I need to do. I need to reach out to those that aren't saved, that aren't currently my brother or sister in Christ. I need to get active in my community. I need to go feed the hungry, go clothe the naked. I need to go uh, get involved with the physical issues so that I can present the spiritual solutions. Let me say that one more time. I need to get involved with the physical issues so that I can present the spiritual solutions. I want to close with this scripture, and then I want to do one more thing with you guys. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40 tells us, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger, invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. It's about more than just me being saved. I've got to put action to my salvation for our community. I want to do one more thing. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, praise God. Yes, praise God. On Friday nights, we have a great time. If you're not coming on Friday nights, I really encourage you. We spend about an hour. It's short but sweet. It flies by. We joke. We cut up. We sing. We study the Word of God. and We just have great fellowship. And one of the things there is, uh, you, you guys don't even know this, but my brother Keith, who has agreed to come up here with me, you didn't forget, did you? He's our song leader, unless he cops out and forces me to do it. And Friday night, we sang a song, and I was praying this morning. I, I still didn't have really the altar call. I didn't have how to finish this. What I want to do is, since we're talking about unity as brothers and sisters, I want us all to get together and, you know, grab hands and hug and just show that unity, but we can't right this minute. So I said, Lord, what am I going to do? Come on down, Keith. Come on down. 
And this is what he told me. This is what I feel like he told me. Yeah, you can clap for Keith. <laughs> Keith uh, has been a great friend to me. I, I just, I'll just tell you that. And I've got several friends in this church, and, and he's just one of the best ones. And uh, He sang a song Friday night. I think many of you have sung this song at camp. It's Kumbaya. So I'm going to ask you to stand up with me right now, and I'm going to get Keith to lead us, and I'm going to sing with him. But do you know what Kumbaya is all about? It's about, you know, come, Lord, help those in need, right? It's, it's a unity song. It's about being together. So, Keith, would you lead us in that, please, sir? Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. Kumbaya, my Lord. Kumbaya. Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, oh Lord, Kumbaya. Someone's praying, Lord, Kumbaya. Someone's praying, Lord, Kumbaya. Someone's praying, Lord, kumbaya, oh Lord, kumbaya, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, oh Lord, Kumbaya. Father, we just thank you. We praise you. Lord, we thank you for creating us. And Lord, we thank you for forgiving us every time we mess up, Father. Lord, we thank you for sending your Son to give us yet another chance. Lord, we just see your desire to be with us, Father God. Lord, as we go forth today, I pray we never be the same. Our hearts change forever that grow closer to you, Lord. Lord, continue to open our eyes. Help us to see things the way you see them, Father God. Lord, let us be able to spot the tactics of the enemy, Lord. Father God, help us to spot when division and confusion is being sown simply because the enemy has gotten in. And Lord God, give us the strength to remember how to solve that problem, Lord. We solve that in your might and your strength in standing with you, Lord. Father, remind us each day to put on that armor of God. Remind us to pray for each other, all of our brothers and sisters, Father God. And Lord, give us a heart for the hungry, for the needy. Lord God, give us a heart for those in need. Lord, help us to just see this world the way you see this world father god may you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in jesus mighty name we pray amen you've been listening to sunday sermons from Southside christian fellowship church a place where you are loved accepted and received a place of healing a place of prayer a place of hope we invite you to join us this sunday and every sunday for service times location and other information about the church please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman and 
elder at Southside to speak a father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you that he would cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.